You know, um, I've been doing ministry uh, with young adults and young professionals uh, now for about the past few, I would say two, three, four years. Uh, and uh, it's been a blessing. It's been so fun. Um, and it's been a challenge at times, too. Now, with young professionals and young adults, uh, one of the main counseling topics, one of the main prayer requests that uh, I speak uh, into that I deal with that uh, is shared with me um, are usually two main topics. The first has to do with dating and marriage, right, for young adults. How do I find the right one? Uh, or is, Pastor Dan, is this guy, is this girl, or is that the right person for me, right? I usually have one answer to that. Uh, leave me alone, right? I have enough <laughs> of my own stuff to deal with. Um, now, the second topic uh, is just as uh, prevalent. You, you guys know I'm joking, right? You can come to me for that. Um, the second topic uh, that is, I feel, just as prevalent uh, with young adults, um, and this has come up more and more now, it's interesting, is, that, is their relationship with their parents. Um, now, what I've seen as a shift that has happened, it's been a blessing, uh, is that they've mentioned to me a lot that when they were young, there was a lot of misunderstanding. It could have been cultural barriers. It could have been language barriers. It could be a lot of different things. But when they were young, all they received were commands from their parents. Do this. Don't do that. And so after a while, what's happened is that they've begun to resent, begun to become bitter towards their parents, and things have just kind of built up from there. But as they have grown older, as they are now entering into adulthood as a young professional in the workplace, what they have realized is that those words that were given to them when they were young were actually meant to bring them joy. It was actually meant to bring them happiness. It was actually meant to protect them from the things that were to come. And what they were able to realize, they've said this to me before too, is that for the first time, I've seen how much my parents have sacrificed for me. And for the first time, I realized that more than my friends, more than my boyfriend or girlfriend, more than these other people, my parents love me so much. And so the perspective has really changed to the point where it's no longer, okay, my parents are against me, but it's more, okay, they're on my side. They're fighting for me. Now, am I saying this uh, is always the same across the board? Of course not. But what I'm saying is that in, these to in this topic in particular, in my ministry, I've been able to see this time and time again. Now, the reason I'm saying this is because we're in this topic now of the Holy Spirit, and especially when it comes to prayer. And for the book of Romans, we're going straight into kind of the end part of Romans 8, of 26, 27, 28. But what's important is that the thesis statement, the main idea, doesn't actually come from those verses. It comes from verse 1, Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Because Romans chapter 8, verse 1, Paul, he begins the entire chapter, not by prayer, not by talking about the Holy Spirit. He says in verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so before he even talks about prayer, before he even talks about the working and the role of the Holy Spirit, he says, look, if you are accepted by Jesus Christ, if you believe that he is your personal Savior and Lord, then you are in his family, and there is nothing that can take you away from that. That if you believe in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord, there is no condemnation that is to come for you. That all God desires for you to do is grow in him. 
that he loves you as a father loves his child, but even more so than that, because our fathers are sinful and they're broken people here. But guess what? Our God in heaven is perfect. And he loves you. And there is no amount of earthly whatever. There's no angel. There's no demon. There's no height. There's no depth that can separate you from that love. And so know that whatever action God takes, realize that no matter what action the Holy Spirit takes, it is there. He is doing it because he is on your side and he cares for you. And so that is the main idea for today, that even before we talk about prayer, even before we talk about the interceding of the Holy Spirit, I want you to keep in mind that the Holy Spirit is on your side and that he is fighting for you. See, that's the beauty of the Trinity. Because, you see, we have God the Father, we have God the Son, and we have God the Holy Spirit. And what God the Father does is he establishes his plan in your life. That he has brought you in this crazy entire way that all of us have a unique story to tell to bring us all to this point of salvation, of knowing who the Lord is. This is perfect plan. At the same time, we have God the Son, who has provided that plan, that, that road to salvation through the cross. That he was able to take on all of that and rise again. And so if we put our belief in him, then we are saved forevermore. And yet also at the same time, we have God, the Holy Spirit, who through his intercessory prayer, through his support, through him advocating for us, is allowing us to grow closer and closer to the Lord. It's the perfect trinity. And so today, what we're going to focus on is something really simple, verses 26, 27, and 28, and what it means when the Holy Spirit is praying on our behalf. Verse 26, it says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Now, what does it mean when you hear the word groan? You know, groaning is actually a very strong word, and, and we know the connotation a little bit, but it, in the Greek, it's actually a much stronger word back then. It's a word that means an expression of pain, and even pain unto death. It's the cry used of someone who is facing death. You know, Greek literature, they would use the word groaning for warriors on the battlefield who are in complete despair. And you see, people... Uh, Paul is using this word to describe what the Holy Spirit does for us. Now, before we even go into what the Holy Spirit does, it's important that you realize in verse 19, Paul, he doesn't start, he doesn't start talking about us. He doesn't start talking about God. He talks about creation and the groaning of creation. You see, this world was created in the beginning in Genesis through the Garden of Eden, right? We know that. And in the Garden of Eden, everything was perfect. Everything was good. But what happened was that Adam and Eve sinned. And through the curse of Adam and Eve, everything became misaligned. Everything started to fall away. Everything started to become temporary. And the earth, from that moment on, was groaning to grow back to what it was before. It was groaning to go back to perfection. Not only does creation groan, but verse 23 says that we ourselves groan. We ourselves desire to go back to what it used to be. Now, what does that mean for us to go back to what it used to be? There's, there's two kind of uh, meanings. The personal level 
is that when we groan, there's a, uh, a type of regret that we have, that when we make mistakes, that because we're fallen, because we're sinful, there's something in our hearts to say, God, I, I wish I didn't do that. God, I wish that I, I had made a different choice. I, I wish that I, I was able to be a, a better in this decision. And on the spiritual side, there's also the fact that, look, we are not from this world. That the Bible says that we are actually foreigners and, and sojourners. And so the Bible tells us that as we are going along in this world, there's going to be a sense of uncomfortability for us. There's going to be a sense of something that doesn't fit right, that something just doesn't shape us in the, in the right way, that, that the world and, and the ideals and the beliefs that the world has is it, not going to be the same that, that we have. And the Bible says that that's true, and it should be like that, because we weren't meant to be in this world long term. This isn't a permanent place for us. This is only a stopping ground for us to one day go to heaven. And so there's this groaning that we have in our inner being. Because, number one, there's regret in our lives. And yet at the same time, because we're just not meant to be here, there's a misalignment within our bodies and within this world. And beyond all of that now, as we see that there's this fallenness that the world has, there's a fallenness that we have, there's sin in this world, there's sin in us, and because of that we're groaning. We come now to this verse where we have the Holy Spirit groaning on our behalf. And what that means is that the Holy Spirit is groaning on behalf of our fallenness. The Holy Spirit is groaning on behalf of our sin. That he, that he is groaning so that we could grow closer to God. So that we could become more conformed to the likeness of Jesus Christ. And so for the Holy Spirit, his work is to help us grow and to guide us to understand that everything in this world will fall away, but God is the only permanent one. That is what the groaning of the Holy Spirit is supposed to help us realize. And that means, church, that the Holy Spirit is praying on your behalf and that if especially pertains to groaning in terms of the fallenness of your soul, it means that within our sin, that if we're heading in a certain direction away from God, the Holy Spirit is groaning to bring you back in alignment with him. And this is why when we talk about intercessory prayer, this is why when it talks about the Holy Spirit helping us when we pray, it is connected to how God disciplines us. You know, I would love to be able to say that all the time I'm able to, when I'm in the middle of sinning, pray and then realign myself back to God, but we know that that's something that doesn't really happen. And yet what we see in the Bible, and what is such a blessing from the Lord, is that he gives us an advocate, a counselor, to be able to help us head in that direction, to pray those prayers so that God can turn us, so that God can help us to go back to him, to bring reconciliation with him. You know, after college, uh, I ended up living in Korea for a few years. And for me at that time, I was um, a Christian, and, and I was a pretty faithful Christian. I was going to church every week. Uh, I was doing everything I needed to do. And, and I felt pretty confident in my relationship with God. Now, when I went off to Korea, 
I remember the first year I was there, it was one of the most terrible years of my life, right? Uh, and the reason why was simply because I was in a place where I had no friends, um, and I didn't have anyone even near my age. Uh, I didn't, it was just kind of out in the, the, the wild over there, right? Um, and there was one church that was in the town that I was at. Uh, and this church was, it was a biblical church. It was, it was uh, they spoke the gospel, all that kind of stuff, the things that we recommend for you guys, yes. But the one thing was that everyone in the congregation was in their 60s and 70s, right? And so imagine me, this guy who was in my, what, mid-20s at the time, uh, and this American dude who could barely speak Korean. And I was at church with a bunch of just Korean kind of older people who were in their 60s and 70s. Now, during that time, I had such a difficult time, and I could not understand why I was there. Because I would, I would say to the Lord, I would, say, I, would pray to God that I, would say, I would pray to God and say, God, I was growing in my faith in California. I was growing in my faith in America. I was doing well. So why am I here now? Why am I experiencing this? God, why would you place me in this position here? And it got to the point where I didn't hear anything from the Lord. And for over a year, my prayers lessened and lessened and lessened to the point where I just stopped praying. I stopped reading the Bible. I stopped even going to church. My faith deteriorated. And I remember it took me so long. It took me years to grow out of that bitterness. Now, what's interesting is that when I look back at that time now, I am so thankful because it took me that year to realize that my faith that I thought was so strong wasn't based upon my personal relationship with God. It was based on my friends at church. That my Christianity was based more on my location rather than the truth of the Bible. And I realized that if I had stayed where I was before, that I would never have had that realization. But it was because of God's providence. It was because of God's love for me. It was because of the pushing and the interceding and the groaning of the Holy Spirit that he allowed me to go in that place to experience that trouble, to experience the quote-unquote worst year of my life so that I could grow in a way that I had never grown before. And so when I look back now, God, I say, God, thank you, because that is actually the best year of my life. Because if I didn't have that, where would I be today? And so this is what it means when the Spirit groans for you. He desires your goodness. He desires your glory. He desires for you to grow closer in your relationship with Christ. And he is going to do it whichever way that means. But remember what we talked about, the main idea, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation for you. He is not pushing you out. He is not punishing you. He is not disciplining you in order to simply just punish you. He is not that type of God. He is doing that in order to restore you back to his fold. He is doing that in order for you to see your sin so that you can turn away from it and turn to the Lord. And that is exactly what happened to me. I'm so thankful for that. Am I going to say that is going to be as clear cut for you? I don't know. I don't know. But I do know what the Bible says. And the Bible says that he is here to restore you, not to simply punish you for punishment's sake. So the Holy Spirit is on our side, fighting for you to grow into the person that you are meant to be.
And so with all of that um, in mind, right, we have uh, what the Holy Spirit uh, does when we pray, and now we talk about, now we're going to talk about a little bit about the method uh, of how he does that, which is through intercession. In verse 27, we read, And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. You see, the word intercede here, it literally means to rescue someone who is in great danger with no resources of their own. It's like uh, the picture of someone who can't swim but is floating haphazardly down a river where there's a waterfall. So it's this way of saying, okay, I can't save myself, so I need someone greater. I need someone who is, who is bigger, who is stronger, who can intercede on my behalf and take me out. And that is what the Holy Spirit does. You see, there are times in our life when we're not able to pray the prayer that we need to pray. There are times in our life when we're meant to pray in a certain way, but we're not able to do so. There are times in our life that no matter how great our faith is, no matter how strong our relationship with God has been, that when we come across something that is very difficult, when we're going through some type of uh, sudden change or sudden loss, it is going to be so hard, nigh impossible for us to pray to the Lord. And it is in those moments that the Holy Spirit understands us. The Holy Spirit understands our flesh, and the Bible says that the Holy Spirit covers our weaknesses. That in that moment, the Holy Spirit will intercede on our behalf so that he can cover us in a way that we wouldn't be able to cover ourselves. And I hope that this brings us a lot of comfort as Christians. Because there are times when we pray, and it is so misaligned from God's will. There are times when we pray, and we pray selfish, not good prayers. And there are times when we are meant to pray, and we just simply don't pray at all. But it's during those times when the Spirit will intercede on our behalf and rescue us. You know, if, the book of Psalms is a book of prayers. It's a book of songs, right? And within all the Psalms, what they all have are mostly is the same structure. They have praise in the beginning, uh, a calling for God to do something in the middle, and then praise at the end. And so that's the majority of these Psalms, of these prayers. And yet what we have within the midst of all of these Psalms is this Psalm 39. And it's the Psalm of David. Now, scholars say we don't know exactly what time this was at of David's life, but we do know that it was one of the darkest periods of his life. Because it is so different than all of the other prayers that he does. For David, when he is starting out Psalm 39, he doesn't start out with praise. He starts out with questions. God, why are you doing this? Why is this happening to me? I don't understand what this is. And he goes on and on and on. And at the end of Psalm 39, there's no praise report. There's no God I will trust in you. There's no, even if this happens, I will still worship you. No, there's none of that. At the end of Psalm 39, all it says is, God, turn your face from me because I don't want to look at you. And God, I know that you don't want to look at me. That's it. Now, when we look at that from a biblical perspective, that is probably the worst prayer that you could ever pray. And yes, scholars will say and will testify 
that the reason God kept that psalm in the book of Psalms is to show us that even in our weakness, that even in our fallenness, that even when we don't know how to pray, that God honors those prayers as well. That the Holy Spirit is interceding on our behalf and that he is the one who is able to cover our weaknesses, that he is the one who is able to pray on our behalf and add on the things that we need to be added on so that even when we pray prayers that are selfish, even when we pray prayers that are not aligned with God's will, we can see that the Spirit is the one who is pushing our hearts, pushing our mouths, pushing our tongues, and allowing us to connect to God in a way that we wouldn't be able to connect if we were by ourselves. This is what it means when he is interceding on our behalf. We can't do it on our own, church. We are people who are floating down a river towards a waterfall. There is nothing that we can do. And so we have to call upon the Holy Spirit who is able to save us. He is bigger. He is greater. He is more powerful. And he has the discernment and the wisdom to know what to do and when to do it. And so I just pray and I hope that gives you comfort. That as people who are saved uh, under the Lord, there is no condemnation for you. And that even in the most difficult times of your life, when you don't know how to pray or what to say, man, just just start saying something because you know that the Holy Spirit is there to help you alongside. And so with all of that in mind, we come to the culmination in verse 28 where it says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. You see, church, context here is so important. Because Paul is connecting the prayer of the Holy Spirit with this famous verse of working all things for good. Because what Paul is trying to connect to us, what he's trying to connect in our minds, is that our good and God's glory doesn't just come from something out of nothing. It doesn't just come from just whatever you're doing. It is purposely orchestrated by the Trinity, by God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And he's saying, look, your good and God's glory will come to pass. No matter what circumstance you're going through, no matter how good, no matter how bad, these things will all work towards God's glory and bringing you closer to the Lord for three reasons. First is because of God the Father's ultimate plan for your life, that there is nothing in this world that can take salvation away from you. And so even from the beginning, before you were even born, God knew you intimately, and he has brought you to this path where you are today. And so he is guiding you, he is pushing you, he is leading you exactly where you're supposed to be. No matter how good your situation is, no matter how bad it is, God has brought you there for a reason. God the Father has orchestrated that plan for you. The second reason is because of God the Son, that he has provided a way for you to receive that salvation, that it was through the cross, that he had died on the cross for your sins, that he has taken your place, that it was through his blood that we are now forgiven completely, forever, irrevocably, but permanently. And not only that, he rose again on the third day. And when he came out of that tomb, it was to show us and to show the world that, man, there is nothing that is bigger than him. There is nothing that is greater than him, that he can defeat death. And lastly, the third reason is because of God, the Holy Spirit, that as we grow closer to the Lord, that as we are accepted and believe that Jesus Christ is our personal Savior and Lord, there are times when we fail. 
There are times when we turn. There are times when we are too weak. And yet it is in those moments that the Holy Spirit will take your hand, will cover your weakness, and will be praying alongside of you. And so trust in that truth. And trust in that trinity that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are working in that way for your good, for their glory in all circumstances. See, church, once you are in his family, you are no longer condemned, but you are loved and accepted more than you could ever imagine. It's the same words that Tim Keller says about the gospel. You, we are more sinful than we ever dared believe, and yet at the same time, we are more loved than we ever dared hope. And so I pray that you would just have that truth within your heart of what the Holy Spirit is able to push upon, upon you, that he loves you, that he is on your side, that he is fighting for you. Just one thing before we end. I just want, there's two things, two applications, two calls to action that I want to place upon you. First is just to pray. I hope that this word gives you comfort and gives you confidence knowing that once you are accepted by Jesus Christ, once you believe that he is your savior, that he is going to mold you in a way and push you in a way to cover your weaknesses so that you can cry out to him in a, in a way that comforts you, in a way that, that brings you confidence. So don't, don't feel like you can't pray. Don't feel like I don't know how to pray. Don't feel like I don't know where to start. Just start. Just pray. Just ask the Lord and he will guide you. The Holy Spirit is in you if you believe in Jesus Christ. Secondly is perspective perspective. Keep your perspective, church. That is one of the most important things that we can do as Christians. For this world, for those who are non-Christians, what they believe is that this is it for them. There's nothing more. That once they die, they die and they just, everything's blank. Something, nothing else happens. But for us, what we realize is that this world is a simple stepping stone to where we truly need and want to go. Everything here is in preparation for what's to come. So the relationships you build here, the people that you meet here, the work that you put into your school, into your work, into every single thing, it matters. Because God sees that. He honors that. And so work to the best of your ability and also know that in all things, good and bad, God is working those things for your good and for his glory. Amen? Yeah, let's pray.